0: to episode 35 of Room of Requirements, a, a, a podcast dedicated to reason and resilience in the time of Trump.
1: I am one of your co-hosts, Kamala Shroud. And I'm Miracle Jones. How are you doing, man?
0: Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. We just
1: had dinner at a del- delightful Thai place. Yeah. Uh, uh, place. W- one of our favorites,
0: probably. So I'm nice and full up with delicious Thai food.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. How's the past week been? I think it was been a week since we recorded. Yeah, not not bad, you know, just the uh, same same
0: old same old just plugging away. I uh, know. It, it, it's it's winter, so, you know, uh, I, I feel bad. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, peak dead inside probably. So I can do this for another 2 months. Sure, <laughs> sure.
1: It? It's easy to it's easy to coast on on attitude alone. Um, How about you? How's everything? Uh, things are good. I mean, the past week has been uh, pretty decent. Uh, I, again, uh Falling back, uh, falling behind on exercise, um, but everything else seems all right.
0: So, so last year uh, we made like resolutions, essentially. Like, yeah. Things we wanted to do for the upcoming year. Right? Yeah. So you wanted to like get into martial arts back again. Yeah. And like exercise more. Yep. And I wanted to quit smoking and yep. start running. Sure. And we basically both did those things, right? Right. i like, smoked less. one or two cigarettes here and there. Sure. And yeah. I,
1: I don't know if I've completely gotten into martial arts, but yeah, I started yeah. it again for yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, I probably didn't exercise as much as I wanted to, but yeah. Uh, so what are the new resolutions? Yeah.
0: So that's, yeah, that's where I'm going to this. Like, what do you, is there anything new that you've like, uh, taken on for the year as a, uh, as a project or, uh, I don't know, some, a focus for your anxiety and aggression?
1: Right. Uh, a focus for my anxiety <laughs> and aggression and any new projects. Yeah. Um, I think I have to, uh, there are a couple of things that I, I want to deal with, um, one, I think we're going to try to think about buying a house, so we have to decide whether or not that's... By house, you mean apartment? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just to yeah. make clear, <laughs> yeah. I want to stop paying rent yeah, and right. start paying right. a mortgage. Right. Um, right. So I think that's probably one of our goals. Um, I think, uh, you know, I talk a little bit about it, but I I, I would love to have some certainty about what's going to happen to my parents. Right. Yeah, so that's an issue. My parents are a little bit older, um, and my I. And both of them are, in odd ways, and separate ways, and different ways, good at, about acknowledging where they are in life, which um, is, you know, it's okay. I mean, they're sharp and they're reasonably uh, fit, um, but also terrible about planning for the future and they're just unwilling to take the next step. So, like, um, what does it mean to not, have, not be able to take care of your house or not be able to drive? Um, yeah, so they are not going quietly into the good night, um, which is okay. Uh, but I would like for them to like, uh, have a little bit more of a plan and I feel like I'm going to have to step in. So those are just two things that I'm, um, thinking about, uh, as we start the new year. Are you going to try to sit them down together? So yeah. my parents are divorced and, yeah. and still angry at each other, or at least <laughs> my mom's still angry at my dad. Uh, so I think I'm going to have to sit down and I, I think I'm going to spend some time in the next month. Uh, figuring out what their plan B is because they're not doing that and yeah. I, th- and I uh, I'm going to have to figure out how to how to be the adult in the room. So how deep are you into their
0: finances? I know. Yeah, I'm I'm deep. Okay. Yeah. Cuz that's the thing that would freak me out. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, it just seems
1: like it's weirdly private or something, but like, you know, at this point what
0: does it matter? But Oh, yeah, wow. I
1: would that. never uh, I I I just I guess there's a lot of phobia around money. I don't yeah. know why, and I think because I was, I grew up under the illusion that we were like desperately poor. Yeah. That I feel like I, have um, oh I've never had that phobia ever since. Like ever since I had any sort of flow of money into my pocket, I was just like, I I just want to be able to handle this. So I have, I I think I keep decent track. I mean, I could always be better about it, but I I I definitely know. I have an idea of what my dad's uh, his money is and I have a good idea where my mom's money is and um, what that is. And Bitcoin's all <laughs> <money> <laughs> All owned. gold buried in the backyard. <laughs> Not their backyard, but in a backyard. <laughs> um, so, yeah, those are the things. I, I, I have financial goals, but I would just like to, like... Because I have a new job, I just want to maintain kind of uh, my basic health and spend time with friends and... Um, And that's it. So I am unambitious this year, I guess.
0: That's pretty ambitious, like, Uh, getting your parents' shit in order and buying a house. That's, like, more ambitious than most people's years, (laughs) I would
1: say. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, But, you know, not relative to, you know, first generation. (laughs) First generation. (laughs) Not ambitious enough. Uh, what What are your resolutions? You know, finishing
0: this book I'm editing and writing this other porn collection and uh, those are artistic ambitions, but something that I kind of wanted to do for myself was get to know more about economics. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, in in school, mm-hmm. uh, in high school, anyway, there were two subjects that I was preternaturally good at that surprised everybody. Yeah, which was were weird. physics and economics, right? Physics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and because I couldn't do math, like, and it right, was very straight, right. So, yeah, you're you're surprised now. I am shocked. I just yeah, feel like. Physics is so math-based. Yeah, but it's actually, it's a lot more relationship-based. Like, it's, it tells us, everything tells a story. Like, and if I could get it, if I could figure out the story of how the, the things were related to each other, like... This goes down, so this goes up, or this like like okay. I can see the like, all right, yeah. I mean, yeah. mechanism of it, and economics was kind of the same way. It had a lot of the same like there are elements. Uh, yeah, of
1: yeah, there's a push and pull.
0: Yeah, and it's like uh, it's just relationships between things that are inverse or not inverse, right. Proportionate or like oh, this is a this is a piece of this, and or this is part of an aggregate of this. And, right. So yeah, that's yeah. not
1: that's not coincidental either, because right. a lot of classical economics was based on. At the time, what was physics? What 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 was classical physics? physics. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I got a I got a minor in astronomy. That was because of my physics interests mm-hmm. or whatever. And you know, I loved I loved cosmology and like, but uh, I had no interest in economics. Like, yeah. Like, and but now I'm getting older, and I find it more fascinating every year. Yeah, like, like the more that I think about it, the more interesting it. Comes to me. Uh, oh, that's cool. So, yeah. um, so, I was thinking maybe like in this podcast we'd have like an economics corner. Sure, once once a week. You'd be into that. Okay, and, yeah, we could do just, that. You just patiently or impatiently explain some uh, some concept. concept to me. Yeah.
1: So it's interesting. So I I majored um, I majored in economics and statistics in college, and I hated it. Yeah. And I absolutely hated it. And I just thought I was going to go and program. <laughs> Computers or robots, actually, um, but I just happened to get an, a job offer from a guy who's the chief economist at the company, um, and he turned me on to economics. Like I, I always thought it was like a really boring, really dumb subject, and within six weeks, I was like, oh wow, this is amazing, and this is profound, and this is why I originally had an interest in this subject. That was ground out during my undergrad years. Yeah, but, I mean, I think I think there's some element I think of
0: like it's like board game rules right it's the same it's a similar kind of structure to it where there is it's goal oriented in some ways and people are trying to make money
1: right yeah i think that's one way to think about it yeah i would be curious to see how you get a narrative out of it because i actually think that one of the things i like about (coughs) economics is it's it issues like moral uh, or judgment and i think that's you know this is how people behave on aggregate so that the dismal science right yeah yeah, yeah. I mean I, I I have problems calling it a science because it's not but um, <laughs> but yeah I, I'm happy to talk about more about economics because I don't really do that much economics anymore so you ever said show New Girl? Yeah. Yeah, there's this one. I've only seen like a couple
0: of episodes, but there's one episode where one of the, ma- the male lead, it's revealed that he just has like a box full of unpaid bills. Yeah, and <laughs> his girlfriend's like, Why do you have this? What is this? I think she takes care of it all for him yeah. and it's like really freaks him out and like yeah. he's very mad about it. Yeah. I, I hold on to my like uh, uh, horrible uh, financial situation very
1: dearly as well.
0: Okay. As, but, uh,. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should try to figure shit. Well, out. Well, there's a
1: difference between personal finances and economics. For sure.
0: But if I can tell the story on a grander scale, i should sure. be
1: able to internalize some of the uh, <laughs> concepts and, and feelings. I think I All right. Do. So uh, look forward to our econ corner. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, uh, you want to go on to politics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so we wanted to talk about a couple of things in politics. But I want to follow up with last week's conversation about the shutdown and see yeah. how you thought it went. And yeah. then talk a little bit about the current debate around immigration.
0: Yeah, so let's start off with just saying kind of what happened. Sure. Uh, there was a two-day shutdown, two business days, I guess, Friday and and Monday.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: and just kind of happened over the weekend. Right. And then the Democrats uh, pulled out of the shutdown, uh, securing a verbal deal that DACA or some sort of Legislation would be brought to debate and then theoretically a vote in the Senate and it would theoretically be a piece of legislation that Schumer agreed with, right? So McConnell and Schumer would both turn their keys on a piece of legislation and it would be put to the vote in the Senate, right? Okay. Uh, and the uh, other piece of this deal uh, was the CHIP funding, which was yeah uh, something that had been offered by the Republicans already. Right. But that was... Agreed to, and Chip's been farted for six years as part of the continuing resolution. And then the other part was this continuing resolution was only for three weeks. So uh, this all has to happen before the February 8th.
1: All right. And so what do you think was the gain? And was it worth it for the Democrats to go through this whole shutdown showdown? Uh,
0: Yes, I think so. What was was the gain? The gain was uh, people became very incensed. People became aware of... Immigration as a fight or as the fight that would be happening now, right? Okay. In a way that previous to the shutdown they were pretty uh, unconcerned about or uh, ignorant of or un-, un unenthusiastic about.
1: So you think this rally the Democrats or the left around the cause of immigration has well, unified them around
0: a little bit nothing had been decided previous to this and nothing's been decided yet as far as negotiating around any of the core tenets of immigration right now which are sure. Uh, the wall, what's going to happen with the visa lottery, what's going to happen with quote-unquote uh, quote, chain migration, yeah. and what's going to happen with DACA. Right? Right. There's been no movement either way on that and right. no decisions made. But now there are a lot more stakeholders, right? Specifically people who suddenly became mad that the Democrats quote-unquote quote, caved on the shutdown deal and who, uh, at least on social media and in their homes, uh, decided that they had been against they been for Dhaka and a strong showing on DACA all along. Even though really nobody had been talking about it until after the shutdown was over.
1: Right. So you think Schumer actually came off? Do you think he comes off looking well, or do you think he he played well? Two things: Does he look good, or did he play well?
0: One of the things I remember about Chuck Schumer, Minority Leader, is that it doesn't seem like he cares very much how he looks. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah uh, more interested in being the tactical representative of the Democrats and and. He's unselfish. He's interested in helping other people sort of, like, improve their brand, kind of at his expense, right? In a way that's a little bit transparent. You can see Gillibrand... Can you give me an example? Right. Yeah, Gillibrand, as the other senator from New York... New York right, right. Uh, ...had, uh, was able to vote against every single Trump nominee, right, uh, in, in his cabinet, right? She had the clearance to do that, uh, which, you know... Chuck Schumer definitely didn't, but you know they strategized together. They're both of our senators from New York, right? Uh, And it's you know a lot of the drama inside a party is is ginned up by the party, right, to let people differentiate and to let people build their coalitions and find their audiences, right? Right. And you know a lot of senators were able to vote against this. Resolution, continuing resolution, thereby announcing that they will be running in 2020, right? Right. You know, showing that they are going to fight for immigration. Right. You know, nothing was decided, and we're back to essentially status quo before we were before the shutdown, except CHIP is funded.
1: Right. right. Uh,
0: so yeah, that's that's where we are now, right? Right. Uh, and then, as of yesterday, the White House has put forth a immigration proposal, right, uh, which is very both right and left in a way that is confusing and that it offers a amnesty for two million people Roughly. Uh, approximately one point eight million people and but also calls for twenty five billion in border security funding. Right. Uh, the end of the visa lottery and the end of chain, chain migration, migration going whatever.
1: forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's where we are. Right. So I think there are a couple of things that are worth debating. So one is whether or not the Democrats played their hand well during the during the shutdown. I'm a little bit more ambivalent about it, but I, again, one of the things that you have to appreciate is they didn't have much of a hand, right? Mm-hmm. They are still in the minority in both houses. They don't own or run the White House, so it's really clear. It's really unclear what they could have done. I also think that one of the things that was underplayed was how little, the centrists, like the centrist Democrats wanted a shutdown, right? So the Democrats tend to be a, um, they tend to be a party of government. Like they expect that, especially the federal government to run. And that's one of the things that is really important, uh, as opposed to the Republican wings that think that shutting down the government is just good on the face of it, right? So just anything you can do to throw grist in the middle of the wheels of the federal government is somehow heroic Or worth celebrating, so the Democrats tend to be the party of a of wanting the federal government to run and work well. So I think I actually think that you're. I think there's an underplaying here of how much the centrist Democrats their heart just wasn't into it, uh, weren't into it, right? Like they just they didn't. There's no way you could count on them to prolong the shutdown for any meaningful period of time.
0: Well, there's that, but there's also the fact that this was. You know, blame the Democrats, but it was a Republican shutdown. It was, you know, Republicans crossed the aisle in order to make it happen in the first place, right? So Lindsey Graham and, uh, you know, a few other Republicans voted against, Jeff Flake voted against the contunding resolution at all. So the Republicans didn't have complete party uh, hegemony until the deal was made for DACA to be heard for the bill to come forward. I think not enough was made of that fact. Sure. That uh, it was... And not until Mitch McConnell, you know, promised his own party that he would bring this bill forward before March, that uh, the government was sort of pushed forward. Right? right.
1: I just so I'm not in some ways contradicting you. I just want yeah. to point out. To no, my sure. yeah. my take is actually that the Democrats had a weak hand. Right. And and one of the things that it made it especially weak was the fact that you have centrist government uh, centrist democrats who are not willing to shut down the government
0: absolutely but i guess where i'm going for that is that there were centrist republicans who were so i think right. they kind of canceled each other out right, right. Yeah, yeah, centrist, yeah
1: so what do you think about the this gain of this chip what do you think about the daca bill why why do you think this is a smart move for the democrats Why do you think if you think it's a smart yeah move? uh
0: well so last week i said with the democrats at least were in a position to get everything they wanted right, right. they could get chip they could get uh no wall they could get no changes to the immigration system, and they could get DACA, right? And I still think we're in the same place. I still think that's totally possible. I think uh, there's uh, a scenario if everything goes, is played well, if everything's played right, and Trump continues to be not particularly formidable opponent, uh, where Democrats kind of strangle the issue, nothing happens, the lack of wall cancels out uh, a greater amnesty in favor of a temporary extension of DACA, right? Okay. Uh, just so that uh, Republicans don't aren't kicking out Dreamers preparatory to the 2018 midterms, right? Right. Uh, and that would be, to my mind, and no walls funny, right. right? And to my mind, that would be, that's the ideal scenario. Sure. Right. That is, and I I think that is also the ideal scenario for centrist Republicans, right? Because they don't want to have to run on this, right? One way or the other. Right. They prefer this wedge issue be kind of taken away.
1: And the wedge issue being DACA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So one of the things that I think is successful about the Democratic standoff, as it were, was the fact that you have a relatively clean immigration bill coming forward, right? And so you really do force the Republicans to do what they have been trying not to do, which is vote on DACA, because Mm. on the one hand, they don't want to take the consequences of shutting the program down. But at the same time, I don't think they can, or they perceive that they can't withstand the the blowback they'll get from their own constituents if they actually vote for some sort of quote-unquote amnesty, right? So my conclusion of the about the shutdown is that Democrats had a weak hand, and just by putting forth this idea that they will vote on immigration, it's actually not a small, it's not a small victory, right? So you can put forth a, a bill on immigration, you can force, if it passes the Senate, which it very well could, right? I think you can get Democratic solidarity and then a couple of people on the Republican side to at least put it forth. I'm not exactly sure if they're going to bring that bill to the House. And either way, if the House votes it down, I think it's on the House, right? I they think they're going to have to. They're actually going to be put on record as either not wanting to vote or voting it down. Or and on the offhand chance that they have to, they actually vote for it, then they will come in front of Trump.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the let's let's game this out a little bit. Right? Sure. And this would be the 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 second. Sort of order brilliance of a Schumer move if this is actually in the cards where right. it's it draws out for a really long time, right? Yeah. Where it it's, it sucks up the entire spring. That would be incredible,
1: right? And you'd kept, and you'd keep rolling over the funding bills.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. So the way that would work is the Republicans would conspire with the White House to put forward uh, immigration bill that the Democrats don't like, right? Uh, that is yes yeah. so it seems
1: like a likely scenario right
0: so that would be the first thing out the gate right so we have this bill that the democratic constituency hates the base like gets fervent about it and the democrat democrats especially in the house don't have the cover to break ranks and vote for it right and the democrats in the On the right, don't want to give any amnesty, right? So it sets off the firebrands in both parties against each other, and the bill fails, right? Okay. In which case, that would, you know, like the healthcare bill trying to be overturned, right? You just couldn't get to a consensus, and Trump just isn't strong enough to control his party, right? Right. And that would be in the interests of centrist Republicans like McConnell, Cornyn, everybody, you know, working right. kind of against their own bill here, and sure. certainly against Trump, right? Uh, And so then, I think after that happened, after all the brush was cleared out of that kind of debacle, then there would be space for a clean DACA bill to be passed in the ashes of that, right? Okay. Uh, And something where... You know, both sides could declare defeat or victory, and then move move away from it onto infrastructure, right? Then the uh, the the deadline of now March is here, and Dreamers are about to start getting deported. Also, Trump wants to talk about infrastructure. Also, people are starting to run for Congress, right? and yeah. and you know, then a clean DACA bill is passed, or just an extension, an executive order that extends DACA, right? Yeah. For another year, which I think is actually probably more likely, right? Yeah. Uh, so. I think that would probably, is the, is the way forward to a DACA being extended. Right. Something like that. I don't know if, so the only way uh, a clean DACA bill gets passed is if, if Cornyn is extremely successful in ginning up the Senate Republicans into voting for it overwhelmingly. Right. If it has like 80 senators attached to it, then I think the House has to put it to a vote at least, in which case I think it passes. And then the president has to veto it or not, right? Right. And that would be... That also would be a a potential outcome of the scenario we're in right now because as a result of Schumer having caved on the shutdown and the Republicans being ascendant, they have this three-week period to fuck over the Freedom Caucus, to, you know, have that internecine fight amongst themselves in order to get to those 80 senators and also to scare the crap out of the... Uh, Republicans running for the house that if they don't do something about DACA they're going to have to run on it and it's not going to be pretty, right?
1: I think that's right. I think that that makes sense to me. I what I think you can do with DACA is keep it in the news. Yeah. And it's a policy that if the Democrats don't, it's a it's a policy that effectively embarrasses the Republicans. Mm -hmm. So they're going to look cruel if they cancel it, and they can't again. They can't maneuver it so that. But they can't support their base, or they can't expect the support of their base if they continue on this with this policy. So, kicking the can down the line is I, effectively, I think, the the most logical kind of outcome of all of this.
0: Yeah, as long if we're talk if we talk about DACA all year, that's great for the Democrats. I mean,
1: right. It is very, a poli- it's a policy that rends asunder the mm-hmm. Republican Party, whereas yeah. for the most part, the Democrats. Are willing to fight about small details. Yeah, with the Democratic
0: line is at least DACA, right? Right.
1: Yeah. Uh, the the
0: the the scary parts here, the parts that that trouble me, that lead to the Republican like wedge points here. Sure. Are the fact that the far left of the Democratic Party are kind of nativist. Uh, sure. You've got like our you know jobs for mid white midwesterners kind of. Yeah, uh, and
1: left-wing. you're. Contention is that Bernie Sanders, for example, sort of waved this flag yeah. during the campaign. I don't yeah. know if I got that same sense, but I think it's worth—it's a point worth talking about at least. So my sense was that Bernie was, you know, sotto voce about his nativism. But you, on the other hand think something else
0: i think the left doesn't want to talk about identity but this kind of left doesn't want to talk about identity politics and that is code for not talking about things like immigration black lives matter women's rights right they interesting they, yeah and you know they would rather discuss like economic issues uh health being one of them and i guess like breaking up the big banks right
1: and you think that's wrong? or Because I think even putting aside certain social issue debates, right, mm-hmm. um, there is a strong argument that if by concentrating on non-identity issues, you can win back at least some of the heartland, which I think is something... Democrats are eager to do, given how they performed in 2016. I guess it just
0: depends on how you define heartland. My heartland looks a lot like, you know, Mexico, right? <laughs> That's just wrong. <laughs> That's just wrong. I mean, I no, mean I Texas mean, is very, like, it's very blended. So when I think of, like, the Volk, you know, I think of, like, a Catholic, like, you know, Hispanic second generation, like, you know...
1: La gente. What's up? La gente. Yeah. Yeah, right, 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 right. right.
0: So I, I just don't have much experience with, like the left of like the Midwest, right? I d I don't understand how they think. They've confused and baffled me, right? And I I it is a weakness. I'm trying to understand more of how are you? they feel. Are you <laughs> are you? <laughs> I'm not a generous person by nature, so it takes a long time. But, but um, there is but you know, I, I feel that it is incumbent on them to explain themselves to me, but you know
1: Right. So I think I think the fact that the Democratic Party lost a lot of power in the midwest and in especially at the upper midwest perhaps wisconsin michigan i think that's why parts of the party want to concentrate on economic issues and they think that identity issues are things that led the party astray or they or the party wasn't able to gather enough consensus about i'm not i don't agree with that but i think we should be honest and at least debate it
0: i mean i don't like the term identity politics either because i think it's redundant because I think that nobody you know functions without some sort of love for a candidate or you know like uh, I- identification with their aims and needs right just, right as a larger group, yeah yeah, so I just think that we're looking at a lot of white identity politics in 2018 and it is uncomfortable and it's a bad look for the Democrats uh, and I think that the immigration issue is a flashpoint, especially and should not be uh, we shouldn't be turning to Bernie Sanders for any moral clarity on it as the senator from Vermont, which I believe has the fewest uh, DACA recipients by an order of magnitude.
1: Well, okay, uh, that's possible. I don't know the I don't know the statistics, but I also don't think you should fault Bernie for coming from a very non-Latino state. Or, I, I don't or, fault him. Yeah.
0: What I fault is people turning to Bernie as the gold standard for, I guess, like every...
1: Leftist, less, right guess. that I agree with. Yeah, I agree. Right, I I'm certainly willing to disagree with Bernie Sanders on a lot of things, especially economic You're issues. You're always defending Bernie Sanders, <laughs> my least favorite <laughs> candidate. But it's possible that he continues to, I guess, exert some sort of control over the Democratic Party. He's chair
0: of outreach for the Democratic Party, and I guess my fear is that in this particular case what we need is people being vocal and you know upset about the dreamers, right? Right. And I, I, I think that's
1: accomplished. I think people are really upset. I, the, the blowback I read about both from uh, in the course of uh, the in the wake of the shutdown rather um, was that people are pretty unified. I think the Democratic Party is pretty unified about supporting DACA and when Trump proposed his own kind of immigration plan forward it seemed like a lot of the left was certainly behind at least daca was the position right and everything else including chain migration is still on the board right like no one's willing to trade that off mm-hmm. and so it's the party and i think the people who pr- participate or identify with that side of the party have gotten have gone to the left of on the immigration issue right whereas i think uh, even five year, or ten years ago i think there would have been a lot more willingness to horse trade
0: yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right about that. So that's to the good, right? Yeah. Um, the other thing I'm worried about or the, what makes me nervous is the easy trade... Kind of gleefully, gleefully easy trade. People seem to have as far as the wall goes, right? Like how how much people seem to think that this is like something we should just do a quick deal on, and it will be like hilarious and good and not a real big, you know? He'll get screwed on this, right? Like, yeah, I won't actually build it, or it's a yeah. I'm of that camp, yeah, yeah, and that also makes me nervous because I think like that in and of itself will be the biggest victory for the Trump administration up here up till now, right? Like So that is the one that is the one campaign promise that you can associate with Trump unequivocally, right? And I believe that denying him that victory is fundamental to whatever Democrat strategy as far as like a twenty twenty victory, right? A presidential victory.
1: I think that's an argument. I think the other side to that is that if you give him this relatively useless piece of victory right a symbolic victory you can you can allow for a lot in terms of of policy like, like the sedition land <laughs> uh, <laughs> no no but i think so imagine imagine what it means to trump right so so to me the risk i think we come at this in a different at two different ways right to me the risk is on the downside to you the risk is not capturing the upside right so to me things could get a lot worse and so if you're willing to put up with some sort of wall or something even more reasonable right so in the proposal itself they loosely define what a wall is Mm -hmm. so it's border spending (laughs) um and it's
0: it's also for northern northern wall as well sure uh, great so we'll have a hadrian's wall against the canadians
1: yeah so to me there's a risk here and so it's worth thinking about the compromise. So you give something that is, uh, you have to think about, if you're going to work with the Republicans, thinking about compromise in terms of what do you give in terms of border security. Okay. With Donald Trump, it is cheap it's superficial. It's the wall, whatever he gets to call the wall. It's much more difficult to think about uh, a smarter, say, Donald Trump version 2.0 or a Tom Cotton or, uh, uh, what's his name, Purdue. Um, what those guys would actually want in terms of border security, because I think they are willing, their their border security is just a list of unending demands. Donald Trump has a finite set of demands. And from that, I think you can extract, well, we gave you this $25 billion, What do we get in return? And I think he, you can get a lot of leeway because in the end, I'm not, I mean, he likes adulation, but he also doesn't mind screwing over people mm-hmm. as long as he can, as long as he thinks he gets something out of it, right? So... Wh- said in the last last podcast, right? Like, you know, a big fucking wall with like, shaped in the head, like as his big fucking head is a small price to pay to allow like a serious path towards amnesty. So that's my contention, right? So it's a serious path towards real immigration reform. There are, even if we talk about two million people with a path to amnesty, which is, I think, I actually think that the Trump policy is really to the left of what I was expecting from them. Even if you talk about 2 million people, that's still roughly 8 to 10 million people that don't really have a path, don't have a clear path, and will be living in the U.S. under this under this pall of illegality, right? So, to me, the risk of the downside is that we uh, don't take the advantage of what we have, which is a president who is relatively weak and relatively easy to please, at the same time, and while in in the hope that we secure the future for millions of people. Um, I am not convinced that I think the Democrats look good in 2018. I'm not convinced that that'll go through. There are downsides to whether or not the Mueller investigation winds up, whether or not the Democrats capture the House and Congress and governorship. So to me, it's worth debating whether or not you negotiate with Trump. Um, And I would also just want to point out that the negotiations, like we said, could drag out. Yeah. And that in itself is a victory for the Democrats. So that's my, that's my take on yeah, it. Yeah, we
0: were talking yesterday, and my contention was that the easy play would be for Schumer just to say, you know, no negotiations about the wall till the Mueller investigation is successfully concluded, right? Like, you know however long it takes him to reach a conclusion about this and then we'll talk about the law right like we don't know if you're someone we can negotiate with because we don't know whether you'll be able to sign anything because you might be under you know impeachment proceedings at the end of all this right it's a you're you're not a you're not a valid person at the table right now mr trump we are we have you appointed a special prosecutor to investigate your you know campaign in which case we don't know where this is going right Mueller hasn't even talked to you yet. How can we do a deal with you on the wall right? And also this would have the the double goal of insulating the Mueller investigation from being fired.
1: <laughs> I' see where you go with that. but so yeah. what happens to DACA when it rolls around in March? I mean that's on the Senate
0: i think I think the Senate I think that is an easy way to get to those eighty votes right? Like they just want it off the table. I, you know like the 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 person I've heard most, I guess like vociferous about this particular. Uh, uh, about DACA, about the Dreamers is Cornyn, right, who's the Senate whip so, you know I I, I, believe in, you know Texas remains despite Donald Trump, the most powerful Republican state, I mean, by far it, it still is, right, you know and this wall, these Dreamers, NAFTA these are all things Republic, uh, Texas does not want, right and so, I don't know,
1: Cruz seemed to shut down DACA I mean, Cruz is gonna
0: cruise, right? Uh, Cruz is within eight points of Bido O'Rourke, right?
1: I don't know who Bido O'Rourke. He's
0: the guy running for Senate as a as a different. Cruz is on the line this year, right? He's running for Senate,
1: right? Eight points is not on the line. Yeah.
0: For Texas, it is sure, I, and that's that's gonna close, you know, as as uh, Cruz is more. Visible Cruisy. out there more. The more you hear Ted Cruz, the less you want to vote for him. Yeah. And Beto O'Rourke is a really sort of like young, charismatic, persuasive guy, right? And he's running without any kind of uh, pack support, as he's not taking outside money, right? Okay. Which is when people hear that, supposedly they like him. Sixty you percent know, of people are willing to vote for him in Texas. So I don't know. I mean, I think I think Cruz is not someone credible this year to. As, as a result of his... All right, CBL. we'll see.
1: I, I still think he holds quite a lot of sway with parts of the Republican caucus.
0: Right, but not Texas. He is a, a, a Republican caucus guy, but he's not a Texas business interest guy. He's no Abbott. He's no Cornyn. He's, okay. he's no uh, Joe Strauss. Uh, he's Cruz. All
1: right. <laughs> we're, uh, from, we're from the same hometown, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's interesting. Yeah, so... Uh, anything else you want to talk about in terms of the immigration or the immigration bill? I feel like I've said my piece. I am more willing to compromise, I think, than you are about this, about the immigration issue.
0: Yeah, I see no evidence that the Democrats have to. Mm. Uh, and I see.
1: I feel like the Democrats by not by entering in with that view of, of where the Democrats are, you there's a lot of downside risk, and you risk overplaying your hand, which I, I, I don't think it's a clear win for the Democrats in 2018, that's all.
0: If the Republicans pass extremely cruel and aggressive anti-immigration legislation over the Democrats, if they shove it down America's throat, that's one thing, and that's terrible. But if they pass... Moderately cruel, stupid legislation with the complicity of the Democrats, giving it the stamp of American, you know, compromise or whatever, that sends a message to the world that America can't be trusted as a, uh, uh, there's no party in America that they should support that is reasonable, frankly, that is uh representing America's best ideals. And it also sends a message to the core democratic voters that there's nobody standing up for things that are just like obviously true, like immigration is good. It's not bad. It's not a problem. It's something we should be getting more of, not trying to find a way to limit, right? Right. That's fucked up. I mean that's it's a fucked up reframing of a situation, you know, we should be reframing it the other way. I wish we were having the should we open borders completely and have one trading block with Canada and Mexico? Should we have a Eurozone, you know, like the Schengen Agreement between the, you know, the, the North American countries? I wish that were the discussion on the table I and mean, the right was furious about that instead of should we build the fucking wall uh, 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 shutting out Canada? I right. mean, that's crazy. So, yeah. Um, Anyway, that's my piece. Uh, (laughs) We'll 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 be revisiting this a lot. This is this is this year's uh, health care.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Any so, I think we wanted to also talk a little bit about the Mueller investigation as it stands. So there are a couple of things that have happened. It's worth updating. One, it seems that there are discussions between Mueller's camp and the Trump camp about whether or not Mueller is going to get to talk to Trump, and Trump has said off-handedly, or off or off-the-cuff that he is willing to talk to Mueller, um, which is uh, terrible for Trump. It's a bad idea. <laughs> the man is a... His lawyer that,
0: immediately walked it back, by the way, and said what Trump meant was that he would not talk to Mueller. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, so... <laughs> um, uh, for people who out wonder where the investigation is going, it's may... Indicate something or other. It's I just feel all
0: like narrowing in on Hope Hicks, <laughs> secret mastermind, secret
1: mastermind. Yeah. Um, I think that I think that speculation on where the investigation is going is it's just it's just rife for for, for embarrassing yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't love commenting on something that I don't know any more than anyone else. There's a lot of information that isn't seen to the public, and whatever. Is seen to the public has been devoured a thousand times over and spit out from one end or the other. So I, uh, I don't have a great feel as to where the Mueller investigation is going. What I can talk about is the politics around it, yeah. which is on the one hand, uh, Trump saying thinking that he can he can walk in and, and charm Mueller, which is an interesting thought. And at the same time, I think uh, the Republicans seem to be on a very real mission um, to discredit the FBI, which is a weird switch in institutional loyalty, I think. I think the Democrats are sort of forced in a corner to support the FBI for right now. Yeah, for which right is now. It's an interesting space. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. For now. It's
1: not necessarily they're not comfortable bedfellows. Though we're
0: no longer talking about the fact that James Comey's letter probably single-handedly put us in this situation in the first place. That's well, well done, FBI. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you have, you have, you're the cause of and solution to America's problems. <laughs> 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 not, not really. Maybe these will cancel out.
1: Also, capture the headline was the fact that. Mueller was, or at some point, Trump tried to fire Mueller. Oh right, that's a big deal. Yeah, but I mean, we that yeah, I don't yeah, feel like that's that, not it, right? Big, yeah. I don't feel that's like that's like not... every day, right? Right. Like,
0: I mean, I'm sure he's tried. Like, I'm sure times. he's given the order like ten times. Yeah.
1: So uh, the Lawfare podcast had like an emergency last yeah. night podcast, and I was like, I don't think it's worth it, guys. I don't yeah. think you need to hustle for this. We right. know that he tried to. Fu- I'm I'm sure every third minute of his, yeah. he's like, why am I not firing him again? I find it,
0: I, I don't go very deep into the Mueller or Russia scandals. I I
1: think know. it's a rabbit hole. I also think that you should, I feel like Bob Mueller, for whatever you can say about him, I think he's a relatively competent guy. And so he will thread the needle of what's a very hard uh, Very hard investigation.
0: Yeah. And I also think, uh, in a lot of ways, what we're seeing is that intelligence organizations cancel each other out. So Russia had their operation going with the the Republicans, but, you know, so did the Brits and the Dutch and the Germans and the Chinese and, you know i'm sure mexico has some spies one or two at mm-hmm. least and you know canada's crack spy team is everywhere he can't even <laughs> tell They're fucking so good yeah they don't have movies about, about, about them. canadian <laughs> intelligence because anything know. that's greenland immediately yeah, 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 they yeah, kill and, the writer and of course like the best the top is israeli and jordanian intelligence right who are like always locked in like dual combat right <laughs> we never see them and then you got you know, so it it's Russia's good, but you know they're, they're they're equivalent to America, approximately. You know, sharp and smart, but also like they you know, corrupted and incompetent. corrupt and incompetent. So, uh, uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, All
1: right. Anything else about the Mueller investigation? No. no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, if I had to do one thing, which was uh, I want to put in a plug for Outside the Bubble. Okay. which yeah? Got? Uh, commentary. Uh, the most recent commentary podcast. Uh, so I think they released it uh, today is the 26th. I think they released it on the 25th or the 24th. Uh, it is three conservative Republicans, uh, debating where the Mueller probe probe is going. And it's really, really fascinating. And, um, and they are certainly critical of their own side, so it's very it's very interesting. They may not come up with the exact conclusions you want to hear, but it is a it is a very good podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. commentary magazine. Uh, I believe it dropped on the twenty fourth or the twenty fifth. Yeah, Do you want to have a uh, a quick econ. Talk? Yeah, a quick
0: econ quarter. Yeah. So here's something that I just I have no idea about, but I hear it bandied about a lot, uh, and maybe you can answer this question. I hope that you can. Yeah. Is what is the difference between Sell side and buy side philosophically and like uh, actually um, in Wall Street or in the market or uh, it's talked about as if it's like there's a real distinction between these two kinds of people in the world.
1: Right. So, yeah. um, so the sell prices, <laughs> they're just different parts of the financial system, right? Okay. So you know people who want to uh, uh, buy and hold assets as opposed to people who are either transactional or tend to sell assets, right? So okay. there are different types of... Pe- so, uh, like, the types of research that come out are, you know, sell-side where you're trying to talk about where the um, where the asset is going in the next couple of uh, quarters or something like that, or even the next week. And on the buy side, I think there's a lot more about, oh, what are the fundamentals? And I need to do research in order to hold this company because I, I expect to put in some time because it, I'm going to be holding this asset for a while. Um, so there are two different philosophies, but a lot of that was th- those archetypes between sell side and buy side, I think they died in the early 2000s, right? After after 19, after 19 the great dot-com boom, like all those budgets collapsed and like the difference between sell side and buy side, um, those walls kind of, if they were still there, uh, they're just not – they're not that important to the bank, right? Like buying – at least in my world, like buy-side research or sell-side research, they used to command huge amounts of the, of the bank's budgets, and they just don't anymore. So, so back
0: up just a little bit. So, so buy side. a buy-sider would be somebody who – goes in and does a lot of research in order to find a perfect asset they can hold forever, right? So they need to...
1: Yeah, I think they, they're willing to put in yeah. assets. I mean, that's not so always that's like,
0: true. It's like index funds and, like, bigger... Asset manager. Asset management, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: and so fundamental managers, okay. sure, yeah.
0: Whereas a sell-sider is somebody who's trying to find something quick and dirty to turn around for profit.
1: Maybe. I mean, they, they're more transactional. They're okay. more they're more interested in... Uh, they're more interested in... in, in like selling you an asset or or developing a relationship so the transactions and it's right. uh, and it's it's not like they're equal parts of the bank right so uh, the, a bank can have a, a buy side where they're trying to hold assets but the uh, the transactional side may be different right so the transactional side could be much bigger
0: so when people talk about the conflict in New York between these two types of,
1: I just feel like that's an old debate. It's like, an old
0: debate. So what is this debate been replaced with? What is there? Are there any fractures in finance?
1: Well, um, really, what's happened is that the uh, uh, banking sector has become a lot less sexy. Okay. So if you consider what you know, maybe even before the the Great Recession, right? Uh, a lot of the a lot of the assets or a lot of the energy of the bank was thrown towards like getting a lot of returns, buying, taking risks. Um, and trying to get into like really interesting asset classes so you could pull in a lot of return, uh, and maybe somewhere in the mid 2000s that moved a little bit more towards risk management, um, but not enough. And by and but 2008, 2009, what happens is that comply the energy of the bank is turned towards compliance because there's a lot of regulation. Right. On top, risk management because there's a lot of regulation and then when you have any energy left over you think about okay what is how do we actually make money right like so like I feel like so in some ways banking has become a lot more boring and a lot of what you think of in terms of the bank's assets in terms of people are actually thrown to this like the middle and the back end of the bank um, if only just to survive right Mm -hmm. like you have to there's no way you get to like not be audited by the government so those kind of arguments are there I mean there's still a sell side and a buy side but they're not hogging the kind of assets or ho- uh, hogging the kind of attention uh, that used to uh, used to be really important most but also what happened actually in the 2000s was that all this research that was being done all the buy side research all the uh, uh, was sort of discredited because um, what happened was that everyone was sort of chasing down like, um, there were all these like vested interests and people who were willing to plug this or that dot com stock mm-hmm. um, because they ha- happened to have a share in it, and so they were writing glowing reports. Interesting. So a lot of that became discredited. So people stopped buying that kind of research, um, and and so that's what happened in the two thousands. And now really a lot of it in two thousand ten on it's more about the data and like getting new kind of data sets and doing a lot of crunching. Uh, with algorithms and and AI or machine learning. So, it's, so the quant, uh, what became, well were quant shops are, are sort of AI labs now with, with all sorts of weird streams of data. That's what's interesting. It's not really like sitting down, having a report, thinking about the fundamentals. I think that's a, that's a discipline of 10 or 15 years ago.
0: Fascinating. So it's more data v. stories.
1: Yeah, it is yeah. a lot of that, right? Yeah, it is a lot of data, and who's crunching the data, as opposed to can. I mean, the people who can do fundamental analysis now are, are few and far between, and I think that's that's unfortunate. It's an important skill to be able to say, well, I think this business is going to do well in the long term because I like how they're operating, right. as opposed to okay, well, let me just figure out like
0: what my- what they're making in forty right, years right. will right. still continue to be in. An- right, exactly those yeah. kind
1: of bets, right? Mm. Those that's what fundamental research was it was a lot of other things too but it used to be an important skill i think it's still an important skill
0: interesting well that clears that up for me <laughs> yeah uh, and so it brings us to another successful conclusion of room of
1: requirements yeah. this has been episode 35 thank you for listening and thank you to kevin carter for r- recording our outro music <laughs>